This is Black History Month. And so I am very grateful to God that it has actually fallen out in this sermon series for me to preach on cross-cultural ministry this week and on next week to speak about justice. And so God has a word for us this morning in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you will turn there this morning, we will continue in our, our series together for the gospel as we look at our vision and mission statement here together as New City Fellowship. I will be preaching from Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Uh, but let me read to you a mo- this morning again our vision statement here at New City Fellowship is to join in gospel ministry in Southeast Grand Rapids as a God-glorifying, gospel-centered, biblically faithful, cross-cultural, justice-practicing Presbyterian church. And this morning we're going to talk about being cross-cultural. So let's, let's look at Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Listen to the word of the Lord. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do pray, and we do ask this morning, Lord, that as all of us, all of us, including the one speaking, sits under the authority of your word, we pray that you will speak to us. We pray that you would work by your spirit through your word to do that work in us, to transform us, Lord, in our thinking, to transform us in our speaking, to transform us in our living before you. I pray that by the power of the Spirit, through your word, you would do that work this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In his book, 
The Color of Compromise, Jamar Tisby, referencing this passage in Ephesians, writes this, Christ himself brought down the dividing wall of hostility that separated humanity from one another and from God. Indeed, reconciliation across racial and ethnic lines is not something Christians must achieve, but a reality we must receive. Cross-cultural ministry, racial reconciliation, racial solidarity, or whatever other term or phrase we want to use to describe the work of the church in bridging racial and ethnic divides is first and foremost gospel ministry. It is gospel ministry because it rests in the same grace of God that brought about our reconciliation with Him, the grace that manifested itself in God giving up His own Son for us. Paul says as much in these verses when he writes, beginning in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jamar is right. When speaking to our reconciliation across racial and ethnic lines, it is not our achievement of this reality that is on display, but the work of God's grace in the sacrifice of His Son on our behalf. The real work, if we can call it that, is the work of receiving what God in Christ has already done. It is believing what God has done in creating a new reconciled humanity in His Son and then doing those works that are consistent with that belief. Our failures, our failures historically to live as a reconciled community is the story of a people who have failed to receive through faith the truth of what Christ has accomplished through His death and His resurrection and His ascension to the right hand of God. It is a failure to discard our old ways of viewing ourselves, our old ways of viewing each other, and our old ways of relating to one another based on those views. Pay attention to Paul's word here as he speaks to Christ, creating in himself a new humanity. And if, it, if it's new, if it's new, then it presupposes that something has been done with the old humanity that preceded it. Paul, in another place, tells us what has been done with that old humanity. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. New city. New city. If we are to be a city set on a hill, or the salt of the earth, or the light of the world, all expressions of Jesus regarding the identity of the church as a whole, then we must be a church 
that is faithfully discarding the old and divided ways of that old humanity and receiving by faith the new and reconciled ways of the new humanity that Christ has made us through his death and his resurrection and his ascension. Amen, people of God. It's Black History Month in our nation. As a black man, I am reminded in this month of the contributions of my own people to the national history. As a black Christian, I'm reminded of the contributions of my own people to the church's history. Yet this month is also a painful reminder of the truth that we are not there yet. We have not fully received in the church this reality for which Jesus died, for which he rose, and for which he, for which he ascended to the right hand of God. We can multiply scriptures old and new that point to the creation of a reconciled human community being the plan of God, the accomplishment of the Messiah, the application of the Spirit. Yet this new reality must be received is if it is to bear fruit in our generation. We know it will bear fruit ultimately, for the grace of God in Jesus Christ is greater than all our sin, and by his power he will bring to pass what he died for, what he rose for, what he sits at the right hand of the Father ruling and reigning for. But if our reconciliation to God is certain because of the work of Jesus, then so is our unity. But if we are to experience that unity more and more in our generation, then we must receive it by faith, a faith that manifests itself in our actions. And Paul, in these verses, lays out for us the truths that we must receive about this new humanity that we have been created for if we are to be God's witnesses in our generation. You know what's funny to me? We don't like talking about race. And yet, you know what's funny to me? The Bible has no problem talking about our division. It has no problem talking about the ways in which we have divided ourselves from each other because the great apologetic to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is is God bringing together people who were once divided. We don't even like to talk about it, and yet it is one of the core, core testimonies that the gospel is true, is that God is able to take people who were once divided and bring them together in one family. So what are those truths that we are called to receive regarding the new humanity that Christ has created us for? Well, first of all, the far are now near. The far are now near. Now, Paul begins by calling his audience to remember, to remember the space that they once occupied before Christ. And he begins by reminding them of a space they were in, not because of their own making, but because of other people. Indeed, his own people's view of them. You see, the Jewish people at that time saw the mark of circumcision, the marker on their flesh, as the basis of the distinction between themselves and non-Jews. More than this, they saw it as a marker, some of them, of the superior distance between themselves and non-Jews. 
Yet this marker in their flesh was not a sign of superiority, but rather it was a gracious sign and seal of God's covenant relationship with them, a relationship that also included a calling, a calling to draw the nations near to God. Yes, the nations were at one time far away, but according to Paul, only in terms of their spiritual condition. They were far away in their knowledge of Christ, far away from membership in the kingdom of God, far away from the promises that God had made in His covenant with Israel, far away from the future hope that comes in relationship with God. Yet they were not far away because they were Roman. They were not far away because they were Greek. They were not far away because they were Ethiopian. They were not far away because they were Asian. They were not far away because they were from any other nation of the earth. The marker, the marker in the flesh of Jewish males was not a symbol of superiority, but a sign and a seal of a relationship and a calling, a calling to bring near to God those nations that had been far away from Him. But now in Christ, what they had failed to do, God had accomplished. God's Son, a Jew according to His flesh, sacrificed himself in that flesh by dying on a cross in order to bring near those whose flesh did not look like his, those whose flesh did not bear the same markers as his. Jesus, the Son of God, did not look at the flesh of those from among the nations and shrink back. No, he looked at their spiritual condition and he drew near. He looked at those whose flesh he was in part responsible for creating whose flesh he had along with the Father and the Spirit endowed with the privilege of bearing the image of God, the image which was now defaced by sin and the coming wages of that sin, which is death. And he, together with the Father and the Spirit, determined that he would not allow that distance, that distance created by sin and death to prevail. So he took that human flesh, the flesh that some among his people had determined was superior to others because of the marker of circumcision, and he sacrificed himself in that flesh on the cross to bring those who were far away near. You want to know what it means to receive by faith membership in the new humanity that Christ has created us for? It means looking at other image bearers, not as inferior, but as equal image bearers, who Christ longs to draw near and redeem. If any Christian, listen to me this morning, if any Christian thinks their flesh is superior to another's, then that person is deceiving themselves and not acting like a member of the new creation, the new humanity that God has made us in Christ. They are acting like one who is far away rather than one who has been brought near. To join in gospel ministry in Southeast Grand Rapids as a cross-cultural church means viewing those who we once saw as far as near through the blood of Christ. What do you see when you look at me? What do you see when you look at me? And what do I see when I look at you? The myth of colorblindness in some circles of the church won't allow us to be honest with ourselves about how some of us view each other in the church 
It doesn't allow us to be honest about the content of our conversations or the jokes we tell when we are sitting around our dinner tables and no one from the other people group that we think is inferior is present. It doesn't allow us to be honest about the biases that really do shape how we view the applications of equally qualified candidates for jobs. It doesn't allow us to be honest about the negative associations we attach to skin color and to physical features that impact who we want our kids to marry, where we want to send our kids to school, or where we want to live. In short, if we are honest with ourselves about the impact of continuing to see each other, even and maybe especially in the church, that's far away. Perhaps it's because we continue to fail to grasp how far spiritually we really were from God, who gave the blood of his son to redeem us. No wonder Paul's application point in these first verses is not the one that we might choose. He says to those who are far away, which by the way is all of us, he says, remember, remember, remember. Before you go do any other work, do the work of remembering. Do the work of remembering how far away you were in your humanity from God. How far away you were from the God who gifted you with that humanity. Remember that your flesh was in the same condition as all flesh, separated from God and headed toward death until the God-man gave up his life to redeem yours from the pit. Your humanity is not better than another's. Your humanity is just as precious in the sight of God as the rest of mankind. For God so loved the world, not just you. So when you look at another image bearer and think far, remember that far was once you. Remember that you too were in that category of far before you start looking at your own flesh and thinking it's better than somebody else's. Amen, people of God. We're going to talk real stuff this morning. Y'all just hang in there with me. We're going to talk some real stuff this morning because we need, we, need, we need to move forward in these things. We need to get unstuck from the ways that we view each other in the church. The far are now near. The far are now near. The wall is now a clear path. The wall is now a clear path. Paul speaks to a wall of hostility that stood in the way of the new humanity that God sought to bring into being. The new humanity alluded to in the prophecy about the coming Messiah in Isaiah 49, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a life for the nations that my salvation might reach to the end of the earth. In Ephesians, Paul tells us that there was a wall preventing this new humanity from coming into fruition. He tells us what this metaphorical wall of hostility consisted of. He says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Commentators have debated what Paul means here by the law. Is he speaking about the whole of God's law? 
Is he speaking about portions of it, like its ceremonial aspects, aspects related to worship, or its civil aspects, aspects related to the government of God's people? Or is he speaking to the traditions and rules that were built up around the law, that were designed to keep people from breaking the law? I think the word hostility uh, here helps us in understanding what Paul was referring to in this verse. Something about the law created hostility between Jews and the nations. Something about the law made relationships in the day-to-day difficult and trying. I believe the answer can be found in something Luke tells us in Acts, when the church was wrestling with the inclusion of Gentiles into the church and discussing it at a meeting in Jerusalem. He writes in Acts 15, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Remember that what sparked this meeting was the activity in Antioch in which Jews and non-Jews were openly fellowshipping with each other, eating together without fear of judgment of each other. Yet there were those who were committed to maintaining the social norms of segregated life even in the church, who are applying God's laws in ways that promoted either the assimilation of non-Jews fully into Jewish culture or the maintenance of separation between the two groups socially. In other words, if you want to fellowship with us, you got to become like us. Otherwise, we can't rock with you. If you're going to fellowship with us, you, you got to become one of us. You, you got to become like us. You got to do what we do. You got you to follow the traditions and rules that, 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 that we follow. I'm going somewhere, don't worry. <laughs> follow our rules, follow our traditions, follow the ordinances we have deemed as the most central ones in respect to God's law, and we'll be good. So it wasn't the law as a mirror reflecting our sin or a restraint against evil or a revelation of what is pleasing to God that created the hostility, but the law as an enforcement of the segregationist practices that created the hostility. It was the law applied as a means of keeping the two separated from each other. Just look at the text in front of you. Paul says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. And he goes on to say that the purpose in abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances was so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. The cross is the end of a segregated church, and it's the end of rules and regulations that promote it. Some of y'all missed what I said. The cross is the end of a segregated church, and it is the end of rules and regulations that promote it. Some of y'all still missed it, so I'm going to say it again. The cross is the end of a segregated church, and it is the end of the rules and regulations that promote it. Rules and regulations that encourage segregation and that seek to use God's law to promote it are put to death in Christ. Christ died 
to end our separation from one another, how then can we come up with rules, come up with regulations, come up with practices that promote something that Christ has put to death? So the call here is to look at those practices, to look at those beliefs, to look at those customs, to look at those rules and the like that shape our life together. It is to ask ourselves, are we doing things in the church that promote the very hostility that Christ came to destroy? In Paul's day, social relationships in the church were being drawn along the lines of fidelity to Jewish cultural norms. Whether or not one was circumcised and followed the traditions built up around the law became the determining factor in people's relationships, even down to whether or not you could eat with somebody. Whether or not one was circumcised and followed those traditions determined whether or not you could hang out with somebody. In our day, and perhaps in our particular part of the church, It is our social political worldview that is the line of demarcation that determines whether or not we can live as brothers and sisters in the church. Who you voted for appears to carry more weight in the church in terms of relationship than our common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm preaching to some of y'all. We are in a space now where we are listening to one another to hear phrases or ideas that we think identify a person as in the camp that we are opposed to. And then when we hear what we think we want to hear, then we determine whether or not we can actually hang out with that person. Because, because if you believe that, then I really can't be your friend. I really can't have you come over my house and eat if you think that way, if you voted that way, if you We then question that other person's fidelity to Christ, or better yet, we judge that person's fidelity to Christ as in question. And of course, once that person becomes the other, then we no longer in our minds need to deal with them. We no longer need to interact with them. We no longer need to work with them. We no longer need to love them. And by the way, I'm just dealing with one belief that's shaping our life together. We haven't even gotten to other beliefs and practices and customs and rules that are shaping our life together, that are part of the wall of hostility that Christ tore down in his flesh. Just pay attention to Jesus' discipleship group. Just pay attention to the 12 men who followed him. They were all Jews, and they all thought differently about a number of things. You had zealots in the group who thought the way to bring down Rome was to fight fire with fire. You had a tax collector who worked for the system, who was getting paid from it who was in the group. 
Then you had two dudes called the Sons of Thunder who wanted to call fire down from heaven and burn up a whole village because the people in it rejected the message of the gospel. That's the team. That's, that's the team that's called to proclaim the good news of the gospel in the world. And we can't even get along as Republicans and Democrats. Is it fidelity to the love of Christ or fidelity to the rules and practices and beliefs and customs and the like that shape my own view of the world? What am I really using to determine whether or not somebody is my brother or sister? Is it our common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is it who you voted for? The far are now near. The wall is now a clear path. Let me hit you with one other. The strangers are now a household. The strangers are now a household. Paul says this in verses 18 to 22. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This last picture of what it means to receive the new humanity that we have been created for in Christ. It speaks to access, speaks to the equal access we have to God through Christ and by the Spirit. And it's an access that speaks to the dignity that every one of us now have as sons and daughters of God. That God is Father speaks to our place as His children. And this access is also and access that speaks to our God's delight in dwelling among us and making his home with us. But watch this. It's a delight in making his home not among a segregated people, but among a people that he has now reconciled through the work of his son. Pay attention to the text. The church grows into a holy temple a place for God to dwell, not separated from each other, but through being joined together. And the fact that this comes by the Spirit is not to indicate that this equal access to God is simply a spiritual one with no physical real-world application. This access should manifest itself in how we practice membership within the household of God. It should be borne out along the lines of what Paul says in another place when he speaks to membership in the body. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be, watch this, no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So here's my question. Do we have the same care for one another in the body? Do we really treat one another as equals in the body? Do we give greater dignity to those in the body who are in a weaker position? These are the questions that we have to face together if we're going to join in Southeast Grand Rapids as a cross-cultural church. In God's household, everyone has access to Him. Do they in our local households? Do they in our local expression of the church? The call here is to understand that every single person in here who has their faith in Jesus is gifted by God. Every single Christian in here is a building block to the church becoming that holy temple in the Lord that Paul speaks of here in this text. And pay attention to the context again, because we are building blocks within our ethnic and cultural identities. Being brought near doesn't imply assimilation. Being brought near does not, does not imply assimilation. It doesn't mean that all the bricks that are being used are the same kind. God's house is not homogenous or homogeneous. It's not of the same kind. It is heterogeneous, of a diverse kind. The unity of the church is not a unity created by making everyone the same. Rather, it is a unity created by the love of God in Jesus holding together through faith in Him all the dissimilar parts of the body. What this means for us practically is that we have to lay aside our obsession with worldly notions of comfort. 
We have to lay aside our obsession with worldly notions of comfort. The church was not created for your worldly comfort, but to build you up in faith in Christ. The church was not created for your worldly comfort, but to build you up in Christ. The church was not created so we could sing all the songs you want to sing in worship. I'll make it plain for some of y'all now. It wasn't created so you can promote all the causes you care passionately about. It was not created so you could continue in all the social networks you most identify with. It wasn't created to uphold all the social political agendas that matter to you. No, the church was created to be a holy temple in the Lord. It was created to be a place where God himself would dwell, a place where people from among the nations of the earth can encounter the true and living God. And the presence of God is obscured. Watch what I'm about to say. The presence of God is obscured when we focus on assimilation rather than thankfully pursuing unity. (laughs) Pay attention to my words. For I said, I did not say, that God was not present. I said the presence of God is obscured when we do not walk in unity. God dwells among us, not because we are perfect, but because He gave the blood of His Son to redeem us that, we might, that He might be with us to the end. But I maintain that His presence is obscured when we are not walking in unity. Pay attention to the text, for Paul says we are being built together into a dwelling place for God. What's the context? It's Jew and non-Jew being brought together and becoming a place for God to dwell. It is God's people from across the nations being brought together that is the place that God dwells. God does not dwell in your segregated view of the world. Or my segregated view of the world. Or any of our segregated view of the world. He dwells in a church full of people who are from among all the nations of the earth. And he does not change their ethnic identity in order, or their cultural identity to make them a part of the church. He gave his blood for them that they might all be a part of the community of faith. That together is a diverse together. It is not an assimilated together. Do you know what that means, church? It means we've got work to do. We've got work to do. But you know what the work is? It's the work that Jamar told us about in his book. It's the work of receiving what God has already achieved through the blood of His Son. It is us learning how through faith to put into practice 
what Christ has already won through his death and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God. Amen, people of God. The church, the church in Jesus is a display of the new humanity. It's not a humanity that we achieve. It's a humanity that we receive by faith in Jesus Christ. Yet that reception by faith looks like something, and it calls us to activity that is in keeping with that look. In this new humanity, the far have been drawn near. We no longer view each other from that superior, inferior dynamic of the old humanity. In this new humanity, the wall of hostility becomes a clear path. We no longer establish rules and regulations and practices that promote segregation. And in this new humanity, the strangers become a household. We become a place where family members enjoy equal access to the Father, the Father who makes his home among his reconciled people. This new humanity is the work of Christ. It's a work culminating in his death on our behalf, his resurrection for our justification, and his ascension to the throne to conquer all of his and our enemies. We are already this new humanity in Christ. Let's live it out by the Spirit of God. Amen, people of God.